Let me ask you a question. Who married someone that maybe is a little bit different than you? Uh, yeah, like maybe you're opposite in, in a lot of ways. So like, for example, maybe it's something along the lines of, for you, being on time is almost a religious experience. And for them, being on time is like, we'll get there when we get there. The party starts when I show up, so what's the problem? Uh, or uh, maybe this, like one of you is really adventurous and you like to try new things, and the other one orders the same thing at the restaurant every time. Like, why try something new? I know what I like. Uh, or, or there could be this. One of you kind of, um, you, you, you just like to um, fly by the seat of your pants. So let's just go. Let's do something. The other one likes to plan everything out. So one of them's like, here's where we're stopping for gas at every mile marker. The other one says, see how far below the E we can go. We got AAA, we'll be fine. Oh, some of you, when it comes to finances, right? Some of you are like, if there's money in the account, we need to spend it because God's given us every good thing to enjoy. And others say, no, we've got to save it because one day we might live to 372 and we might not have enough money. And you're like, but can't we buy? No, we must save. And so... <laughs> You know, you, and those things are, listen, when we're dating, when we're in the uh, engagement stage of a relationship, we are often attracted to the opposite. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, right? Because if you were, were exactly like the other person, one of you wouldn't be necessary. So opposites do attract. Uh, and, and that's wonderful. The problem comes often when we get married and the opposite things that used to seem so wonderful and cute and endearing become sources of conflict and fights and misunderstandings. So here's one thing I've learned, right? Especially if you're dating, write this down because one day we'll be in my office and we'll talk about this. Here it is. When dating, opposites attract. When married, opposites attack. I mean, oh, it's so wonderful. He's just so laid back. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, why, why doesn't he think like I think? Oh, she just, you know, she's always everything neat and orderly. And then it's like, how come she won't let me keep my, the remote on the table? Because everything has a place and there's a place for everything. And you thought that was wonderful until you don't. Um, so what happens is these opposites attract and we find ourselves in love while we're dating and, and early in marriage. And then the opposites begin to attack and we find ourselves, instead of being in love, we find ourselves in a divorce court. And it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want it to be that way. God wants you to have a rich, meaningful, life-giving marriage, one that reflects Christ's love for the church, one that's marked by mutual sacrifice and concern, that, that you guys grow in your love for each other. So throughout this series, we've been talking about the different goals of relationships, that if you make those your goals, and I've said this from the beginning, when I say you, I mean both of you. It won't work. Husbands, if you say, hey, my wife can make those the goals. I'm just sitting around on a can. I'm not doing anything. She can figure it out. She can make it all the goals. No, you have to say, I want this kind of marriage. Women, it's the same way for you. You can't just sit there and go, hey, he can put all the effort in. He can make these, these goals. He can work for it. But I'm fine. I, I don't care what our marriage looks like. I'm satisfied with it. You're not going to have the marriage you want. It takes both of you to together place God first in your marriage, together to learn to fight fair, to always fight fair, 
to figure out how to have fun together, dreaming and talking and getting away together and having all the type of fun that married couples are supposed to have. It means both of you saying, how do we keep and fight for purity in our marriage? So that what we're going to talk about today is the result. We stay together because God wants you to stay together. That is the goal of marriage, to stay together till death do us part, till one or the other of you leaves this earth. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we stay together? But before we jump into the message, I just want to say a couple things about that because it's very, very important. The first thing is this. I'm not talking about staying in an abusive relationship. If it's their physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, that, that is never okay and you're not called to stay in that. Get out, step away from it. Get, make sure you and your children, if there's children involved, are in a place of safety and sanctuary and then seek counsel. Get some help and figure out what your path forward looks like. So please don't, don't hear this as you just gotta stay together and get the snot beat out of you. That doesn't honor God and, and, and that's not my heart. We will, we will help you in any way we can if you're experiencing abuse. The second thing is this, for some of you, you, you have experienced divorce in your life, in, in your past. It's part of your story. It's part of where you are and, and how you've gotten to where you are here in life. And please, I don't want this message to bring guilt, shame, or condemnation. That, that's not the heart of this message. If that's in your past, all you can do is move forward. Now, you may feel guilt or shame because of some things you did and the way you behaved in your previous marriage. And if that's the case, maybe you need to pick up the phone or write a letter or reach out to your ex. Not in an attempt to get back together, but in an attempt to say, I, 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 would you forgive me? I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, 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 I should have known better. I hurt you in these ways. I said these things. I did these things. And I'm wrong. And I just, I'm just asking for your forgiveness. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe for some of you, you said, I did everything I knew. I wasn't perfect, but I did everything I knew how to do to make my marriage work and it still failed. If that's the case, then what I say to you is find healing in Christ, but be free from guilt and move forward in God's grace. And the last thing I wanna say is this. I said at the very first message of this series, and I'll say it again, not many pastors will, will say this. So I'm either crazy or it's just whatever. You can interpret it any way you want, but here's, here it is. Divorce is always an option. Divorce is always an option. Why? Because God always gives us a choice. God doesn't say you have to accept Christ. He says, here's the gift of salvation. You can accept Christ. You don't have to. God says, if you want to get divorced, I'm going to allow you to get divorced. Just because it's a, a choice, it doesn't mean you need to make that choice. Just because it's an option, it doesn't mean you need to choose that option. See, divorce should never be anyone's plan A in marriage. You should say, I could stay in this marriage. I could fight for this marriage. I could work for my marriage to have the type of marriage that God wants me to be. Plan A should always be, I want to have the kind of marriage God desires for me. Plan A shouldn't be if things get hard, I'm out of here. But you always have the freedom to make that choice. I just hope that you don't. I hope instead you choose to figure out how to find a way to stay together. So 
What I want to do is look at a passage in scripture uh, and unpack it a little bit. Uh, it, it talks about divorce. It's in the Bible. It's Jesus speaking. And, um, and then we're going to kind of look at what does this mean in the context of our marriages and how do we learn to stay together? So this is Jesus. He's talking with some re religious leaders and it's found in Matthew chapter 19. So some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. So I just want to stop there for a second. In this passage, there are two words in the original language in Greek that are translated divorce. One is apaluo, the other is apostation. Apaluo is this first one. Um, you don't have to remember the word. I just like saying it because you feel like me. He spent a lot of time studying this week. And, um, but, but what it means is um, to put away, to send away, to separate from. Uh, some translations actually translate it to put away uh, because it's not uh, a permanent thing. But what the religious leaders taught was that you could send your spouse, your, and, and there's mostly the husbands to the wives, the husbands could send their wife away for any and every reason. So they're, they're asking him, hey, this is what we've taught. This is what culture and society has accepted. Is it okay to do this, to send our wives away for any and every reason, whatever we feel like. We just don't like them. They, you know, they gained three pounds or whatever. They spent too many shekels at the grocery store. And so can we just get rid of them? And this is what Jesus says. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now that's the second word translated divorce. That word, apostation, means to sever completely. To, to it, it was the idea of legally divorced. Why did Moses say to offer them a certificate of divorce, to sever, to finalize, to, to completely cut off the relationship. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce because your, uh, your wives, because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, now this is to sends her away, separates from her, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. In a different gospel, it says, causes, uh, marries another, causes them to commit adultery. So what is going on here? Jesus is tackling two issues at the same time. So he is talking about the pervasive um, mentality that uh, was prevalent in that culture of an easy divorce. Like you can just get out of it because you don't like the person anymore. It's kind of what's emblematic of our uh, culture today. The second was the sexist attitudes and the way that women were being treated. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna deal with both of these. So what the Pharisees taught was you could for any reason just send your wife away. And if you were the man, you know what? You need to send her away. You had the right to marry. She couldn't remarry, but you could remarry. You could have a new wife. And Jesus is saying, if you do that, you are committing adultery. He's not saying if you legally divorce that you go and then you get remarried, you're perpetually in a state of adultery. He's saying if you haven't legally defined the divorce, severed the relationship, and then you get remarried, you're committing adultery. And that's why in one uh, 
one of the gospels, it says, and you cause her to, because she didn't have the right to get remarried. And if she did, then she would be committing adultery. See, women in the, in the sexist attitude was this. Women had very few rights at that time. They had very few ways to provide for themselves, to be self-sufficient, to have a job, to own land, uh, to run a business. And so they were uh, often reliant upon the, the male relationships in their life, their family uh, relationships, a husband, sons, nephews, uncles, cousins, a, a male figure to help them. Well, if the husband sent the wife away and remarried, she was left destitute. She couldn't remarry and she couldn't work. She couldn't do much. And so many women would turn to prostitution and things like that out of desperation. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is not okay. You, you can't live like this. So here's my paraphrase of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, stop this madness. This is not what marriage is supposed to be or how divorce is to be used. Marriage is meant to be for life. But if you divorce, do not hold your spouse in bondage. Paul says later on in one of his writings, he says, let them go. You can't do this. This is, this is ridiculous. So the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they say, based on these cultural norms and what's accepted in society, they're trying to trick him. But Jesus turns the whole thing back on them. He says, I don't care what society says. Let's go back. Let's go, let's go higher than what culture and society says. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the created order. And let's look at how the creator, my heavenly father, the God of all things, designed marriage to be. This is God's design. It's way higher than, than culture and society. And then he says, and the issue isn't, by the way, God's standard. The issue is your heart's. See, so often we want to point the finger at God. God expects too much of me. He expects me to live this way. And we want to get mad at God because we say his standards are too high. But the issue isn't that God's standards are too high. It's that our hearts are too hard. And at some point we have to say, God, change my heart. Not God, let us lower your standard. But isn't that what we do all the time? And we feel good and justified about it. But God says, Jesus is dealing with the, the Pharisees and he says, no, I'm not gonna lower my standard in order to appease you. I'm gonna point you back to God's standard. And what is God's standard? It's that a husband and wife are meant to be together forever. But if you divorce, then don't use it to, to beat up, to control, to manipulate, to hold that other person in bondage. That's not okay. And then Jesus begins to touch on the oneness of marriage. Right? He says, the two come together. So if I had two sheets of paper here and I put, covered the entire sheet with, with super glue and put them together and that glue set, and then I said, separate them, what would happen? The paper would rip and it would tear. That's what divorce means. In the original language, it means a violent tearing apart or ripping away. That's why divorce is painful. That's why divorce hurts I don't care if you think divorce is fine. You don't have a problem with it. I don't, think, I don't care if you have gone through a divorce and you say, I, I wanted this. You know the pain of divorce because divorce hurts. If your parents got divorced, you know the pain of divorce. We can look at our culture and society and we know that divorce hurts because it is a tearing apart of two that have become one. 
So here's what I need you to understand. Marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment. Anything else is less than God's ideal. Does he give us the choice? Can we, can we move in and, and, and divorce? Yes. And God's grace is there. Please, I, I, doesn't brand you anything. It just means that's not, that's not God's design for marriage. God's design is come together as one. That's, that's what he wants. The problem is in our culture and society, we often look at marriage as a contractual agreement. Uh, and, and, the, and, and contracts have a lot of value and a lot of problems. See, contracts are based on trust. You enter into a contract with someone because you trust them, but you don't completely trust them. Right? I mean, you wouldn't rent your house to someone that you don't think is going to actually pay the rent. You wouldn't sign a business partnership with someone you don't think is actually going to uphold their end of the deal. You don't sign a real estate contract with someone that you think is going to pull out of the contract. So it's based on trust, but it's structured all around mistrust. The party of the first part agrees to do this. The party of the second part agrees to do that. But if you don't do what you said you would do, and then, then this is how we dissolve the contract. This is how we get out of it. A contract is designed to... Limit your responsibility and state your rights and, and, and impose your rights. So here's my responsibility. Here's my rights. If you violate this, this is the result. This is how we get out of the contract. And we take that mentality into marriage. We say, as long as you make me happy, as long as you don't gain any weight, as long as you don't lose your hair, as long as you're making six figures, as long as this happens and this happens and this happens, we'll stay together. But as soon as you don't meet your end of the bargain or I see a better option out there, here's how we dissolve the contract and I can move on. But that's not what a marriage is meant to be. A marriage is meant to be a lifelong commitment. It's meant to be covenantal in nature. A covenant isn't based on mutual trust structured around distrust. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. That's why in most wedding vows, what do we say? Till death do us part. I am committed to this relationship. A covenant says, I will die to keep this covenant. And if I break this covenant, I deserve to die. That's what the kind of commitment is. So back in the, um, in the Old Testament times, back in the, in the ancient days when they would make a covenant, so oftentimes they would say, we're going to cut covenant because the Hebrew word that's translated covenant means to cut. And th this is what they would do, depending on uh, who was entering into the covenant, the scale of it, the size of it, the wealth of those involved, what they were agreeing to, the, the covenant they were entering, they would take an animal, a bird, a lamb, a bull, whatever it was, and they would cut it in half. And they would place the two bloody halves on the ground facing each other. And then the two parties that were entering into this covenant would link arms and they would walk in a figure eight up and around and between the animal. Now, if you take a figure eight and you lay it on its side, it's a mathematical symbol for infinity. What they're saying is we are going to enter into this relationship and is going to be unbroken and it is forever. And in essence, they were saying, if I break this covenant, what happened to this animal deserves to happen to me. I deserve death as a result. So when marriages would happen in those days, oftentimes what would happen is the, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife would come together. And they would say, we're going to enter into this bond of marriage. And so at the base of their thumbs, each one would take a, a knife or a sharp stone and make a, 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 a cut rather deep, not enough to, to, to bleed. And they would take their two thumbs and mingle the blood together. Because in Leviticus, it says the life of a person is in the blood. So it represented their life. 
and they would rub them together. Then they would join hands and a priest or, or a holy man would come and wrap a cord around their hands. And it signified that we are coming together, no longer two, but one, bound together in one flesh. Your life, my life, the life of the person is in the blood, together. And we are no longer two, but one. And then they would make sure that they would have a nice scar. They wanted a scar that people could see. And each of them would have a scar underneath the base of their thumb. And it represented the seal or the sign of the covenant. Are you in a covenant committed relationship? Yes, I am. You couldn't hide it. You couldn't just say, uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. That tan line, I don't know what that's from. No, it was there. And everyone knew it. It, was, it represented something. It wasn't just marriage. It was something holy. It's why one of the ways that refer to marriage is holy matrimony. It's something that was meant to be forever. There's another old-time term that we use when talking about marriage. It's called wedlock. We are locked together forever. It's not wed lease. After three years, I trade you in. After seven years, I get out. You know, when the, when the terms of the, of the contract are up, I get out of this. We are locked together forever. That's what marriage is intended to be and look like. But what about when it's hard? What about when it's difficult? What about when trust has been broken? What about when love seems like it's gone? When you say, I, I, I don't have any more love to give. I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. Listen to me. Getting out of your marriage because you have no more love to give is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. That doesn't make any sense. You go to the gas station and you fill up. If you feel like you've run out of gas, you figure out how do we run out of love? How do we begin to pour love back into our marriage, right? You fill your gas tank up so that you can continue on your trip and get to the destination that you wanted. If things get hard, like if things get hard, it'd be like being in college and going, oh, the coursework is too hard. So I'm going to drop out of college. I'm gonna drop out, I'm done. No, what you do is you say, this class I'm struggling with. I'm gonna meet with my academic advisor. We're gonna restructure my course load so that I can continue in my studies and graduate and have the life that I want to have. When, when marriage is hard, you restructure them, some things, but you move forward. When love isn't there, you pour love into it. And you say, but I don't have any more love to give. I don't have any more trust to offer. I don't have any more forgiveness to extend. I am, I've done everything I can do. I've got nothing left. I understand in those times it is hard. It, it is extremely hard. But when things are hard, we can be met with God's grace. See, you have a God who has unlimited supplies. So when you feel like you can't love, turn to God and say, God, give me love. When you feel like you can't forgive, you turn to God and say, help me to forgive. When you feel like you have no grace to extend, you say, God, give me the grace that I need in this moment. In other words, let God do through you what you don't have the strength to do in you. God, I don't have it in me, but you are the God of love, so love them through me. I don't have it to forgive, but you're the God who always offers forgiveness, so allow your forgiveness to flow through me. God, I, can't, I don't know if I can trust them anymore. But I trust you, so allow my trust for you to flow through me to them. 
what you can't do, what you don't have an option to do. If you're a follower of Christ, what you can't do is say, you know what, I'm done. I hate my wife. I hate my husband. I hate them and live with perpetual hate in your heart. I'm not talking about the emotion of hate at any given moment. We're human. We're going to have that. But you can't live with hate in your heart if you're a Christian. Because in 1 John 4, it says, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're only fooling yourself. You're just claiming something that's not true. So you have to figure out, God, how can you do through me what I don't have the strength to do in me? So how do you do that when it's hard, when it's difficult, when things feel like, I don't know if I can go on? I love what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. He said this in Galatians chapter six. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there's, a, there's a, an idea behind this. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. And we can apply that to our marriages. So what does that mean? The first is this. The first part of that is this. The harvest grows what you sow. What does that mean? All right, if you plant a kernel of corn, a seed of corn, and you're expecting an apple tree, there's a word for that. You're a fool. I mean, you're out of your mind. You possibly think that a, uh, an apple tree is going to grow from a corn seed? It's never going to happen. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn, right? We see this in life. You go to the store, whatever, you're standing in line, you bump into somebody. If you're kind to them, you smile, hey, how are you? I'm, I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Most of the time, what do you get back? Kindness. You reap what you sow. If you give them the middle finger salute, you're probably going to get it right back and then some, right? So in your marriage, if you're planting kindness, compassion, forgiveness, understanding, tenderness, love, romance, what are you going to get in return? If you're planting criticism, unkindness, judgmentalism, constant berating, looking down on, unloving, and then you say, come on, baby, Let's spend some time together. What do you think you're going to get? She ain't going to say, yeah, big boy. You want to know why your marriage feels distant? What are you planting into your marriage? Now, here's the thing, and it's so important to remember this. When you plant something, when you plant a seed, you don't come back out five seconds later, and there's the harvest. You plant the seed. Who's my gardeners here? Who's my farmers? You plant seed, you get a crop the next day? No. Best case is it's a number of weeks, often months, sometimes years. You plant seeds for trees, it's years before you reap the harvest. We want it instantaneous. See, here's what you need to do. If you don't like what you're getting, you need to look at what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting, you need to look at what you're What have you been planting in your marriage? And I don't mean just look in the last few weeks. I mean, look not just in the recent past, but the distant past. See, some of you for years have been planting negative things. And now you're reaping negative things. And by God's grace, as you've heard this series or other things have come into your heart, you've been getting to say, I want to make a change. And I want to start planting positive things. But those may be years in the making. Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not give up. 
Press on. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Some of you, for years, have been planting really good things. I know we're human, and sometimes you plant some stuff, and you don't mean to, but really, the majority of what you're planting has been really good. And you say, I'm just tired. I don't think I'm ever going to see the harvest. Don't grow weary, and don't give up. At the proper time, you will reap a harvest. Don't give up. Stay in there. Keep planting. Keep believing. Keep going. So not only does the harvest grow what you sow, the next thing is this. The harvest grows where you sow. So let's say you want to plant some wheat, and you've got a field right next to your house. So you plant a bunch of wheat in that field. Where do you suspect that that wheat is going to grow? At the field five miles away at your neighbor's house? Or at the field next to your house where you planted it? Right, where you planted it. That's where the wheat grows. The harvest grows where you sow. So what does that mean? It means you have to be intentional to sow into your marriage. A lot of you have sowed really good things into a lot of good places, but your marriage isn't one of them. Like you've planted seed into your career, into your recreation, into your hobbies, into your enjoyment, into your kids. All, all things that are fine and good. You've got a, you know, two handicap. That's wonderful. That's great. You've got a big retirement account. You've grown a successful firm. All those things, nothing wrong with any of that. But can I just say as your pastor, don't tell me you've sown into your family. Don't tell me you've sown into your marriage. You say, I have. No, what you've done is taken a few pitiful handful of leftover seed when you have a little bit of time and thrown it on your marriage and said, well, I hope it's like Jack and the Magic Beanstalk. And you're not getting what you want because you're not giving the energy, the effort, the passion into your marriage. And I know that's hard to hear. But listen, the harvest grows where you sow. You will get out of your marriage what you put into your marriage. And if you're not getting much out of it, it's probably because you haven't put much into it. But I'm tired. Get untired. Drink coffee. I don't know what you have to do, but get untired. But it, it won't matter. It always matters. It's too late. It's never too late. Listen, if you do it and your spouse doesn't, if you sow that good seed and your spouse refuses to, God will still honor you and bless you because you were faithful to walk in obedience to what he asked. Sow into your marriage. Plant good things into your marriage. Just keep going. Don't stop. Do not grow weary because in due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Now, some of you are going, okay, pastor, I, I hear everything you said today. I've been here the whole series. I've heard everything you had to say. I just don't, I just don't think it's going to work. I just, I, I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like investing. I don't feel like making the effort. Listen to me. I just want to ask you a question. What other area of your life can you approach it with that excuse and get the results that you want? I just don't feel like working anymore. So I'm not going to work. Where are you going to get the results that you want of staying out of debt, of having your bills paid, of eating. I, you know, my kids, a baby cries all the time. The teenagers always have questions. It's just exhausting. I'm done. I don't want to parent anymore. They're on their own. All right, Johnny, I know you're three. Figure it out. 
probably have a better chance than your 13-year-old, by the way. Um, you know, just, just, you're on your own. No, we don't. What do we do? We say, okay, I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to do this because if I don't do it, I'm not going to have the type of life that I want, the, the kind of children that I want, the relationship with them that I want, and they don't, won't have the type of parents that they deserve. I'm just done. I'm, I, I just don't feel like paying taxes anymore. I mean, it's government, a bunch of crooks and criminals taking my money. Okay. You don't feel like paying your taxes. I don't know anyone who does, but you don't feel like paying your taxes. Just wait till the IRS shows up and says, we've got to have a little discussion here. Just wait till the local government shows up and puts a tax lien on your house and sells your house out from under you. No, what do we do when we don't want to do the things like pay our taxes? We get over our feelings and we do what we're supposed to do. So what does that mean for our marriage? It means this. At some point, you have to get over your feelings and get to work on your marriage. I know it's hard and I know you're tired and I know you have every excuse in the book, but we just don't have the money for it. Can I just say you're lying? You are lying to me and lying to yourself. You have the money because when you end up in divorce court, all of a sudden you got money for a divorce attorney. You know, all of a sudden you got money. You want to go away, you got the money. I don't have the time. Yes, you have the time. You have time to go away with friends. You have time to go out and do this. You have time for your recreation. You have time for all those things that you want to have time for. You don't want to make the time to invest in your marriage. You don't want to set the time, aside, the money aside and make the sacrifice to invest in your marriage, but you will get out of your marriage what you put in to your marriage. So what does all this mean? It means God desires for you to have a great marriage. He doesn't want you to just stay together and be miserable and have a terrible marriage for the rest of your life. God's not vindictive. That's someone else. God wants you to have a great marriage. God says, I want you to take these goals and implement them and pursue them. Seek me first. Always fight fair. Learn to have fun. Keep your marriage pure so that you can stay together because you're in love with each other, because your love has grown, because you've learned to value each other, because ultimately you're staying together, not because you're doing it out of obligation, but you're doing it out of desire. In other words, God doesn't just want you to stay together. He wants you to want to stay together. It's not about when we stay together because the pastor said we had to. No, we stayed together and look, look at this amazing marriage that we have. Some of you are saying, I've sown and I've sown and I've sown and I haven't seen it yet. In the pro it just, God's timing is not our timing. In the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. I know in the waiting and the working and the sowing and the planting and the tending to everything, it could feel like you're taking three steps forward and two steps back. But I'm telling you, if you will not grow weary, if you will not give up, when you reap the harvest, just think about what it could mean. The testimony that you could have. When you say to somebody, you don't know how bad it was. But let me tell you how good God has made it. You don't know... What a terrible spouse that I was and how I treated my husband or my wife. But God changed me. I was unfaithful to my spouse, but God healed us. I was neglectful, but God helped me. And all of a sudden, 
you say, look at what God can do. Your children will have a story to tell mommy and daddy. Mom and dad were right at the edge. It was so hard. We didn't think they were going to make it. They stood right at the edge. We didn't think they'd stay together. But now look at them. Look at what God did. And you leave a godly heritage, a spiritual legacy, a picture of what God can do if you don't grow weary and you don't give up. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And God, I thank you that your heart is for us. It's for us. It's for us. God, the first thing I want to do for anyone who's here that has gone through a divorce, if anything I said brings guilt, shame, condemnation, God, take it away by your Holy Spirit. Because that's not you. That's the enemy of our souls. If there's areas where we need to seek forgiveness, repent from our ex, then God, give us the grace to do that. But otherwise, God, allow us to live moving forward a life, a marriage that's goal and focus is to stay together. God, for those of us that are here that are married, God, if there are ways in which we're tired, we, we, we're ready to give up. God, would you change our hearts? Would you work through us what we don't have in us? Change our hearts, change our view, change our understanding. God, I'm asking for the entirety of this entire series that we've just wrapping up here this morning. God, would you take all those truths that we've talked about, pursuing you, fighting fair, having fun, staying pure and staying together. God, would you take those things and make them the hallmarks of the marriages of those who call Hickory Ridge home. God, whether they're here in person, listening online, if they're to come in the days, weeks, months, and years in the future, God, would this be a place where marriages are strengthened, where husbands and wives find hope and where they realize they can do it. Not because of their own ability, not because of their own strength, not because of their own wisdom, but because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the spirit of the living God. And would his spirit come alive in ours, in our hearts, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, and in this church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a song, actually a couple songs, just celebrate who God is. I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come forward. If you'd like prayer this morning, maybe a relationship you're struggling with, it might be your marriage, it might be with a, a, a child, a friend, a coworker, it might be a brother or sister, and you just say, I need healing, I need reconciliation, I need God to move. Allow these prayer partners to pray with you, to pray for you. Maybe you need prayer about something else entirely, financial provision. You need wisdom. You need understanding. You have a big decision that's coming up. Maybe you just need God to heal something going on in your life, or you just need a word of encouragement. Again, allow them to pray with you and for you. The first song we're going to sing is talking about God uh, doing new things, making new wine. So I just want to encourage you. If you would say, God, I just need you to do something new in my life, in my marriage, in my family. Don't miss this moment. Let God do something in you and move in that situation. So come for prayer. Feel free to just get in God's presence at the altar, but let's just take some time and worship God together.